Previously on Caustic Soda. And now, the conclusion. Thanks to Louise for a collection of dead bodies on Mount Everest we can talk about. All right. Well, we talked about uh, green boots in our freezing episode, I'm right. pretty sure. Mm-hmm. Right. The uh, the guy who, it, you know, it's quite plainly was climbing during the 80s. Uh, 1996. Yeah. Oh, wow. He just liked to dress like he was in the 80s. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah, he uh, met his end after becoming separated from his party. He sought refuge in a mountain overhang, and he sat there shivering in the cold until he died. Mm-hmm. And then in 2006, English climber David Sharp joined Green Boots. He stopped in the cave to rescue. His body eventually froze in place, rendering him unable to move but still alive. Over Yee. 40 climbers passed by him as he sat freezing to death. His plight might have been overlooked by pass- as passers-by assumed Sharp was already the- was the already dead Green Boots. All right. Although you'd think you look for those Green Boots. Here's the thing. Like, when you're that guy, why do you sit next to a dead body? For shelter, when you know the story of this guy who yeah. sat there for shelter and uh, died. It's been pre-disastered. What are the odds somebody would die in the same place? Yeah, it's like Ooh. lightning. Mm, I don't think <laughs> no this one can is die like lightning at all. No, I don't think this is like, I think this is the opposite <laughs> of lightning. That if you stop a place where people have died before on a mountain, you're most likely to die again. I don't even think lightning's li- lightning. I think lightning strikes twice all the time. Yeah. Eventually, some heard faint moans, realized that he was still alive, and too late attempted to give him oxygen or help him stand. Right. Too late. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Francis Arsentiev was the first American woman to reach Everest Summit without the aid of bottled oxygen in 1998. Right. But climbers do not recognize this as a successful ascent since she never made it down the mountain. Oh, come on. You, you can't go- give her credit for summoning even if she dies on the way down? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, know. that doesn't seem fair. They, let these crazy people make their own rules. I don't care. You guys can set what you want. I don't care who's first up to the mountain. Right, but I mean, she did make it to the summit. She just didn't make it back down. Following, that's a half seat. That's, that's, a, that's a half seat at least. All right, well, C plus. Following a rough nighttime trek to camp, her husband, a fellow climber, noticed she was missing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Despite mm-hmm. the dangers, he chose to turn back to find his wife. Okay. On his way back, he encountered a team of Uzbek climbers who said they had tried to help Francis but had to abandon her when their own oxygen became depleted. Mm-hmm. The next day, two other climbers found Francis, who was still alive but in too poor of a condition to be moved. Her husband's ice axe and rope were nearby, but he was nowhere to be found. Francis died where the two climbers left her, and climbers solved her husband's disappearance the following year when they found his body lower down in the mountain face where he fell to his death. Ah, I see. So he made it to her body. Maybe he was—he loved her so much that he jumped off the mountain. Well, yeah. she was alive already. But he was like, ah, oh, too late. You're going to be dead, and I can't watch it. Ah. Yeah, she yeah, was too maybe. feeble to be moved. In April 2014, 16 Sherpas were killed in an avalanche in the notorious Kumbu Icefall, an area on the South Col route. They were preparing for the climbing season, setting up ropes and ladders through the icefall when an ice serac came loose. 
They were moving slowly because of all the equipment required to set up 2014's route. And Icefall is part of a glacier that acts like a slow-moving ice river. The ice is moving and breaking apart, making it dangerous for climbers as crevasses may appear suddenly and ice seracs are always threatening to fall. Right. It is best to pass through an Icefall early in the morning uh, when the ice is still frozen more solidly. Right. As a result of these conditions, each year Sherpas need to find and maintain new routes through this dangerous area. In May 2012, Torontonian Shriyasha Chlorphene. Ooh, that is a name. Was completely inexperienced when it came to climbing mountains, but built up a dream of summoning Everest for herself. Her training mainly consisted of rock climbing and jogging upstairs in her building with weights. Okay. Once on the mountain, she had to be taught a number of things, some as simple as how to put on crampons. But... They didn't mention that the building that she lives in is on top of K2. Oh, yeah, maybe. Right. <laughs> it's only four stories tall, but, yeah. like, that fourth story is up really high. Yeah. She made the summit but died on the descent, as many do, caught in worsening weather conditions and succumbing to exhaustion and a lack of oxygen. They say that, actually, in, in the documentary of the summit about the, uh, the 2008 event on K2. They say it no less than six times. More climbers die on the descent. Yeah than on the ascent by a wide margin because of fatigue and, you know, lack of oxygen and and even starting to feel confident, like, oh, I'm going to make it back. Right. And, you know, I can right. see the, the tent and then they fall into a crevasse. It's like when you take your seatbelt off a block away from home. Yeah. I'm almost there. That's right. Slammy, slammy. Mm-hmm. You do that? <laughs> no. Okay. She was told repeatedly to go back by her Sherpa guides but refused. A not uncommon situation for those getting close to the summit, motivated by everything from sunk investment, almost eighty thousand mm-hmm. dollars, to exacerbated poor judgment due to altitude sickness. Right. Yeah. Reportedly, she had hired an inexperienced team of Sherpas as well from a little-known company and was not given enough oxygen for the descent. Her death sparked more in more discussion on the industry built around Everest expeditions. Has it become a bragging right for rich hobbyists with little to no actual climbing experience? Everest in particular, because unlike some other 8,000ers, like K2, is not known as a technically difficult climb. Mm-hmm. Well, sure, she's a wealthy hobbyist, but she's not bragging about anything. No. You know? <laughs> like, to claim that it's all about bragging rights, you have to actually survive to brag about it. The popularity of the Everest climb adds to the dangers as well. Huge mm-hmm. lineups of people, sometimes hundreds in a weekend, attempting the summit in a small window of time means traffic jams and more time spent in difficult conditions. The K2 disaster, if those four teams had all gone at different times, right? I'm sure 11 people wouldn't have died and two guys wouldn't have had all their toes cut off. Right. So the two guys, the Sherpa went back like, oh, on yeah. subsequent days yeah, yeah. Uh, and rescued, they both lost all their toes. Oh, well, mm-hmm. you can barely use them anyway. I can use my toes all the time. What do you use your toes for? I'm using my toes right now. I'm like making little fists in the carpet. Yeah. I I hurt my foot yesterday and I've been walking on that foot without using my toes and it's weird and wrong. Yeah, but like that Sherpa guy went and got the second guy like the day after the day after the disaster. That guy was like up on the mountain for like 60 hours or something. Don't do it. And the Sherpa guy was in the death zone for like 90 straight hours rescuing these guys. Like, I don't even know if I would say somebody had a high-altitude helicopter, right? Because yep. most of them, actually, I, I looked it up, t- about 25,000 feet, and, right. and Everest is 29,000. Yep. But there are some high-altitude records set by rotorcraft that can go up there. Let's just say somebody goes, hey, you want to go to Everest? Come up in this helicopter. I'll let you off, and then you'll come back down. I still wouldn't bother. Right. Like, uh, it's... Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, because then you'll be the, the, the you'll be on the next mountaineering episode of Caustic Soda yeah. when when the backwash from that uh, right. copter like swept you right off the top of that thing. Exactly, three copters were up there because yeah. everybody wants to do it, and yeah. all the all the fucking wind just pushed them into each other and they exploded. Yeah, yeah. No, I'll stay here and play my video games. Thanks. Lastly, with regards to Everest, mm-hmm. Kevin, what's your favorite website? Oh, I got a lot. Pornhub. That's his favorite. Yeah. On some days. Are we talking about Badass of the Week? Yes. Yeah. Oh, I do love that website so much. This is about Beck Weathers. Okay. <laughs> oh, that again. This is Well, this is actually an opposite to those uh, Austrian climbers. Uh, his name is particularly appropriate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was the morning of May 10th, 1996, when Beck Weathers and about two dozen other climbers decided to leave Camp 4 and make their final assault towards the highest point on Earth, the summit of Everest. Mm-hmm. The team had spent the past three months working their way up the mountain, attempting to acclimate themselves to the extreme cold and dealing with oxygen levels so low that the simple act of walking can easily exhaust a human. It doesn't Mm. normally? What? (laughs) But on this day, all of their hard work and training was going to pay off, and they would finally reach the summit of the world's most daunting mountain. Second most daunting mountain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it was not meant to be for Beck Weathers. As Beck made his final climb towards the summit, he came down with an extreme case of snow blindness. Oh. Weathers had undergone corrective eye surgery years before, and on his way through Everest's death zone, the altitude began affecting his surgically repaired eyes, blinding ah! him. People with LASIK surgery don't try and climb Everest. I am so glad I didn't get in that helicopter. Blinding him to everything that was more than two or three feet in front of his face. Oof, that's going to be tough. He told his guide, an experienced New Zealand mountaineer named Rob Hall, about his condition. Hall made Weathers promise not to continue up the mountain and told him to sit down and wait for Hall to return from the summit so they could both return together. Got it. So Beck Weathers sat. So, yeah. So his buddy's going to go to the top. He's going to get the summit. He's going to come back down. He's going to basically be a seeing-eye dog. A few short hours after Beck halted his ascent, ominous clouds began to roll across the peak of the mountain. Mm-hmm. Dun, dun, dun. In the blink of an eye... Beck Weathers found himself in the middle of a raging blizzard. 70-mile-an-hour winds and torrential waves of snow pelted the side of the mountain, assaulting Weathers with a wind chill that exceeded 100 degrees below zero. That's cold for all of our American friends. Finally, a group of fellow climbers returning from the summit came upon Weathers and decided to try to help him down the mountain. Eventually, the gale force winds, lack of oxygen, and an unrelenting storm forced the climbers to stop their search for shelter and huddle together for warmth. Right. When there was finally a lull in the storm, Australian Mike Groom left Weathers and four other climbers, all of whom were nearly unconscious, to return to camp for assistance. Right. Help returned a few hours later. Three of the climbers were helped up and led back down to base camp, but Beck Weathers and Japanese climber Yasuko Namba had both fallen into hyperthermic comas. But, unresponsive. Yeah, because they, they can't carry you back down the mountain. Like, nobody has enough, like, strength and oxygen or whatever to, like, actually carry a right. body. Mm. So you, they always have to, like, get them to come down of their own volition, right? Mm. Uh, a, a hypothermic coma counts as not being able to walk. The rescuers decided that nothing could be done to save these people. Mm-hmm. And they were left for dead on the side of the mountain. All night, Beckweathers lay on his back, slowly freezing to death in the bitter cold. Though he was lying only 300 yards from his camp, at that altitude, the distance might as well have been 300 miles, yeah, uh, guys. Yeah. Hypothermia seized his body. Frostbite set in on his nose and both of his hands. Here would be his final resting place, buried under the snow and exposed to extreme cold ice and wind. So because this is badass of the week, he posed himself in a double <laughs> fuck you pose Maybe. for everybody who see his corpse. Yeah. Is that it? The next morning, two Sherpas returned to Beck and Namba's position to check up on them. Rifle through their pockets? 
After chipping blocks of ice off of their faces, the Sherpas found both of them to be breathing, but severely frostbitten and as close as death, as close to death as a human being can be. Right. Wow. The call once again was made to leave them for dead, since there was little that could have been done to save them, even if they were able to drag the bodies back to camp. And this is the prequel to Encino Man, that uh, Polly Shore vehicle. Oh, yeah. The Sherpas slogged back to camp and reported Weathers and Namba's deaths. But then... Except for the fact that they were still breathing. But then... Uh-huh. Beck Weathers opened his eyes. <laughs> Beck says that he saw his wife and kids standing in front of him, calling out to him like Obi-Wan Kenobi telling a dying Luke Skywalker to seek out Yoda on the Dagobah system. Is that Beck Weathers or is that you? Is that Beck Weathers or is that This is probably the writer at Badass of the Week. Ah, yes. He's very colorful in his language. You must go 300 yards to the left as well. (laughs) Dagobah system. No, not Dagobah. Your cab's just 300 (laughs) feet over that way. At that moment, Seaborn Beck Weathers decided that he wanted to live. He slowly dragged himself to his feet and started walking. I don't need to sit on the side of Mount Everest and go and slip into a hypothermic coma and have ice chipped off my face by Sherpas to get the message that I want to live. Yeah. I don't need that. I don't need to go around the block like that. I, well, I think the people who do go to Everest maybe do need to learn that <laughs> lesson. Like, we've learned it, so that's why we're not going. Yeah. I want to live. That's why I'm not going. He was completely blind in one eye, which had been swollen shut by the cold, and had a visibly and had a visibility range of one to three feet in the other eye. Right. His entire body was numb. He was stupid from altitude sickness. Despite all of his deficiency, he was able to stumble 300 yards into the searing cold wind in an incredible feat of endurance. Finally, against all odds, and to the shock of everyone who witnessed it, Beck Weathers lurched back into Camp 4. Can you imagine both the people who decided he was dead? Oh, that's that guy we left. Or the, like the, uh, the other group of people, the three people that left him for dead as well. Yeah. Five people left this guy for dead. Beck returned home and ended up losing both of his hands to frostbite and having to have his nose reconstructed from skin grafts. He Mm -hmm. found a new respect for life, wrote a book called Left for Dead, My Journey Home from Everest. How? He lost both his hands. (laughs) Good question. Really huge keys. Tonk, 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 tonk. He hit with his stones. Oh, so it's like like a typewriter from the movie Big. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, Although it only gets um, three out of five stars on Amazon. And the negative reviews cite him as self-aggrandizing and acting poorly to, towards his family. Oh, so he's oh. kind of a jerk. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, his family did call him back from the great beyond. Yep, that's true. <laughs> They're ghosts. Before they, oh, before they he's married alive. to Doctor Strange with an astral Ooh, projection. Maybe. The expedition Weathers was on would go on to be chronicled in the best-selling book Into Thin Air by John Krakauer. Ooh, I read that book. Oh, there you go. Mm-hmm. Way back in the day. It's quite interesting. Awesome. I'm sitting on top of the world. I'm rolling along, yes, rolling along. And I'm quitting the blues of the world. I'm singing a song, yes, singing a song. Glory, hallelujah, I just told the parson, hey, Paul, get ready to call. Just like Humpty Dumpty. Going to fall, and I'm sitting on top of the world. I'm rolling along, rolling along. Don't want any million. I'm getting my share. I've only got one suit, just one. That's all I can wear. A bundle of money. Don't make me feel gay. 
my sweet little honey is making me sad. And I'm sitting, sitting on top, top of the world. I'm rolling along, rolling along. And I'm quitting, quitting the blues, blues of the world. I'm singing a song, yes, singing a song. Glory, hallelujah, just told the parson. Get ready to call Just like Humpty Dumpty I'm gonna fall Yeah, I'm sitting On top of the world I'm rolling along Yes, rolling along And I'm quitting The blues of the world I'm singing a song Yes, singing a song Glory, hallelujah ready to call just like Humpty Dumpty I'm going to fall and I'm sitting on top of the world I'm rolling along rolling along don't want any million I'm getting my share I've only got one suit just one that's all I can wear a bundle of money Don't make me feel gay My sweet little honey Is making me sad And I'm sitting, sitting on top Top of the world I'm rolling along In the news May 2015, Kathmandu, Nepal Oh, depending on how the story turns out Could be Kathmandu-don't This is an earthquake follow-up Everest Day, marking the conquest of the world's tallest peak 62 years ago, was marked quietly little more than a month after an earthquake-triggered avalanche swept the base camp and killed 19 people. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary of dangerous things Mm. being done successfully. The low-key gathering reflects worry over mountaineering in Nepal, a vital source of income for guides and for the nation's economy. Mm -hmm. The Mm -hmm. April 25 earthquake, which killed more than 8,000 people across the Himalayan country, cut the spring climbing season short. The 2014 Mm. spring climbing season also ended early after an avalanche killed 16 Sherpa guides. Each year, thousands of foreigners attempt to conquer the country's soaring peaks. Sherpas can earn up to $7,000 after a successful summit bid, Mm. while those who work at Everest Base Camp can receive half that amount. Mm. Huge sums in a nation where the annual per capita income is around $700. Annual income of $700? You can make $7,000 for climbing Everest? Okay. And I understand why the Sherpas do it. Why the hell do the the, the (laughs) climbers do it? Because they have $70,000 to pay 10 guys? I don't Mm. know. I mean, to think about that, that you're making 10 years worth of wages in like yeah. three months. Yeah. Wow. But you're risking It's like your winning life, the lottery. Right. But it's like, what is it? One in four? It's like winning the world's one most dangerous is, lottery. Oh, is, yeah. One do, in four is K2. K2. Do we know that? What's the Everest? It's probably it's like pretty low these days. It's like one in five, one in six yeah, or something. Okay. Both avalanches hit Everest right at the beginning of climbing season when expeditions had gathered at the base camp and were preparing their summit assaults, which mm-hmm. typically take place in May. After last year's avalanche, which hit April 18th, the surviving Sherpas refused to work, resulting uh, in the cancellation of the season. Yep. Yeah, fuck well, that. that makes a lot of sense. Yeah I, yeah, I agree. I would probably say at, the same thing. At the very least, you have to mourn all your friends, mm-hmm. right? This year, the Sherpas refused to rebuild the route, saying it was unsafe and there was not enough time to transport all the necessary aluminum ladders, tie ropes, dig a path, and then finish climbs before the end of the season later this month. Oh, right. 
The government charges $11,000 U.S. per climber and makes an average of $3.5 million in permit fees a year. Hmm. Many of those who were to climb Everest this year had permits last year that were renewed due to the shortened 2014 season. Right. Nepal's tourism and civil aviation minister said Friday that the government would consider renewing those permits once more, but that so far no one had asked. Why are the ministries of tourism and civil aviation under the same umbrella? They seem not connected at all. Because you have to fly into Nepal, probably. It's just the one building. The only way you can do tourism (laughs) is to fly in. Yeah, one building. It's the same guy, actually. Yeah. Yeah, no, it is the same guy. It's the same ministry. That's like, how about tourism and mountain maintenance? Or... Captain of Everest. (laughs) That's right. Yeah, the Everest czar, right? You know, I'm a one job. It's, how about he just like focus on tourism? Maybe he'd have been taking care of those avalanches. Oh, yeah. Maybe he'd have been on top of that. Maybe there's a scandal in the making here. Maybe it was civil airplanes that caused the avalanches. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if he wasn't flying around in his little <laughs> ultralight. <laughs> his personal ultralight. Pop culture. Well, I mean, we talked about the real-life events that sort of led to them. So, I, you know, we can talk about, I watched both documentaries, Touching the Void yeah. and The Summit. Okay. They are similar in a lot of different ways in that they're told documentary style and they have recreations of what the things that, and the, all the interviews are done sort of first-person style where they're like, you know, that person's recounting events to the camera and then they'll have like some recreations. The one sort of notable thing about the summit, which is about the K2 incident, yep. because there were so many climbers on that hill, there is some actual footage that people shot with mm-hmm. handy cams like as shit was going down. Right. So like all the planning stages where they decided that the four teams were going to work as one team and they talked about whose responsibility was going to be whose. Right. All that's on video. Nice. All that's in the movie. So wow. you see this like Korean team leader who ended up smoking in his tent yeah. for two hours yeah. and he's supposed to climb in the mountain. <laughs> you see that guy like saying, yeah, I'll take care of all this stuff, right? Mm. In fact, they have like the guys who, who said, you know, screw this, let's go back down below. They they had the video of them saying that. One guy's holding it and the other guy looks and goes, why are they not moving? Like nothing's happening. We're watching them just sit there, you know, trying to get up to the bottleneck. Nobody's moving. Forget this. We don't have enough time. We're going back down. Right. Right. But then they show it's kind of hard at first to discern like what is actual footage and what is recreation. So that, right. they did a good job of that. Yeah. But then, you know, I started to figure out that the giveaway was when somebody died because, you know, uh, uh, this, the camera became like kind of independent third party. Right? right. You know, where you saw it. From, God's eye uh, or whatever. You know, God's eye. Exactly. So uh, that's where I started to like click into where it was happening <laughs> versus uh, the otherwise. But the major difference between these two things is death toll because, of course, right. uh, touching the void, nobody ends up dying. And at the 17 minute mark of this full length documentary for the summit, yeah. four people were already dead right so it was it was wow. I'm like i'm like how many people are going to die in this goddamn thing this is crazy was, uh, people are dropping left right and center so both i thought pretty well done major spoiler alert in touching the void because they're doing a uh, first person interview with the two guys yeah and uh, so you're like oh i guess nobody dies yeah <laughs> right you knew like yeah. In yeah. the first minute of the movie that the, yeah. the guy was going to make it down the hill after he broke his leg yeah because he's talking about it Mm-hmm. So it's kind of yeah, like... Yeah, for me, the interesting part about that is like, are they going to talk to each other at the end of the movie or anything like that? Like, what really happened, like, in terms of psychologically between those two guys? All right. But that's yeah, never resolved either. Never so, resolved. That's, that, kind that's of not taken care of. Yeah. Uh, the, the summit ends weirdly. It has a very strange ending where one of the climber's family 
flies in and starts interviewing people about what happened on the mountain because they want to know oh. what happened to their loved one, right? To mm-hmm. the husband slash son slash brother. And I'm like, who cares? Like, what? <laughs> like, why does it matter? Because they're gonna they're gonna sue somebody. I don't know. Uh, so it ends with them kind of on the ground in Nepal interviewing people as they're being released from the hospital. And oh. like, were you there? And what do you know? And what did you see? And blah, 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 blah. everybody's got a conflicting story. It's like, yeah, because they were stranded on the side of a mountain and they were kind of crazy for being in the death zone without oxygen for two yeah. days. And uh, so maybe they don't get the story straight. Like, you know, maybe they have some different recollections. Right. Right. But I, I didn't find it as weird. And they all were kind of talking conspiracy. And so oh. the summit had really kind of like an odd ending to it. But it was still an interesting watch. What was your take on that guy in Touching the Void who was back down at the base camp and who they who they had just met backpacking? Yeah, and they the wanted area. them to watch their tents. Yeah, just while they to, were climbing the mountain, didn't even know like his last name or anything. Yeah, yeah, they'd like, like hung out for like one night in a pub. Yeah, and he had like nothing else to do, so he was like, "Sure, yeah. I'll come and watch I'll, your stuff. I'll come watch your stuff and read a couple books while <laughs> you're up the mountain." Yeah. He was such a weirdo. He was like, a bit strange. <laughs> but when you were in that part where he could hear Simpson was the guy who was who it was, was leg, clambering yeah. over the rocks. rocks. He could hear him calling out and he was and then he said to him, "Yeah, I heard him calling out. It I thought maybe it was I, like I a was ghost or something." Yeah. <laughs> So I didn't go out. <laughs> yeah, but then, then the climbing partner, then the climbing partner woke up. up because then he heard it. He was like, but the first guy heard it like three times before oh, yeah. the other yeah. guy woke up, and he didn't wake him up. No, he no. didn't shake him and no. say, "Hey, th- you hear the same thing I'm hearing?" No, he waited for him to wake up independently. Yeah, wow. And then he went out and like pulled his buddy into the tent. Right? <laughs> yeah, that guy was a bit odd. He was a bit odd, and because he even starts in the interview, he's like. Oh, I thought about if one of them died, who would I want to be the one to come back? He said that he goes, you know, and I like, kind of clearly liked, liked one over I the liked other. Joe a little more. The other guy was kind of a stick in the mud. So <laughs> if one of them was going to die, I kind of hoped it was going to be the other guy, right? <laughs> like a completely rando, like yeah. you know, apropos of nothing, he just throws this in there. Imagine these guys watching the documentary. Everyone's like, "What, what an the? asshole! Oh my god, you wished I was dead? No, 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 no." If someone had to die, I wished it was you. <laughs> yeah, that'd be the more awkward conversation at the movie premiere when the three of them right. were there. And he's like, hey, I didn't cut your rope, pal. WTF, dude. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of that. Or they're at the movie premiere. He hasn't seen the final cut. Sits down. Yeah. And from the audience, what? <laughs> what? Yeah. I might reevaluate my people skills, maybe. If I was that guy, I'd be like, oh, I, I should be nicer to people. Hmm. But I, I, I don't know how many people have wished my death. Over the course of the years. I watched Vertical Limit. Oh, that sounds exciting. From 2000. Sci-fi TV movie? No, starring, uh, amongst others, Chris O'Donnell, Bill Paxton, uh-huh. Robin Tunney, and Scott Glenn. Okay. Okay. Feeling responsible for his father's death, which occurred during a climbing expedition, mm-hmm. Chris O'Donnell has quit the pursuit in favor of photography, while his sister, Robin Tunney, has mm. become a top climber. Adult photography? After Tunney is hired by wealthy businessman Bill Paxton... To lead a trek, uh, Robin Tunney, Bill Paxson, and another dude, Tom, fall through a patch of ice and become trapped in a crevasse. Okay. Facing his fears, Chris O'Donnell assembles a rescue team, including experienced but eccentric climber Scott Glenn, to save them. Mm-hmm. The rescue party brings old nitroglycerin in leaky canisters in an attempt to blast a hole for rescue. Okay. 
There are a lot of ridiculous explosions in this movie. Okay. okay. It is right. mostly explosions. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, should have called it vertical explosions. They might have. Robin Tunney begins to suffer from pulmonary edema. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The other guy is in a more severe state with his legs and ribs broken. Paxton is the only one unharmed and possesses the medical kit. Tunney pleads with him to use dexamethasone. Ah, mexidethasone. Yeah, that's right. It doesn't work because he brought mexidethasone instead. <laughs> To save uh, the other guy and herself, but Paxton declines, unwilling to waste it on a lost cause. Later, Paxton even kills the other guy by injecting him with air. Oh. Yeah, he's a bad guy. Oh. Bill Paxton's a bad guy. Why Why wouldn't you just leave him? Why Why kill him outright? Because he's just using up valuable resources. I don't even know what they are. Oh. Okay. It's just like, let's get this over with. He's a lost All cause. Right. He's not me. All right. This movie was... Paxtonorific? Exploderific. Oh, yeah. No, you're making a face like that's not a good thing. I feel like Explosions, this is a movie you could watch that has them in it. Yeah, I get I get what you're saying. <laughs> it has a lot of bad CG, actually. Ooh. No. Well, not uh, a lot, like, but... I don't the, care for bad just CG. Just at the beginning, there's like this, this, this bird that's flying over, and it's just clearly not a real bird. <laughs> so sad. then why put it's it sad. in? I know. Why put it in if it's so clearly not a real bird? Yeah. IMDb trivia, the Tola's feet... Of the character Montgomery Wick, uh, Scott Glenn, yeah, uh, at the beginning of the film, actually belonged to mountaineer Mark Witu, who lost his toes while spending a night outdoors above twenty-eight thousand feet during a nineteen ninety-four attempt on Everest. Oh, okay. So they used it wasn't like CG'd out. Toes yeah, or anything like yeah. That. They didn't like put a foot sock on Scott Glenn to make it look like he didn't no, have toes. No. Hmm. Yeah, they did the old insert shot. I watched 1993's Stallone smash hit Cliffhanger. Ooh. Yeah. I don't remember if I'd seen this before because that's kind of how memorable it is. It's, <laughs> you, it's don't, both, you, know, you barely remember that you've seen it now. That was yeah. like two is, days ago. This is one of those movies that is both good and bad. So the good is it's technically excellent. Like it's shot amazingly. Uh, I c- completely believe that people saw this and were like, wow, I can't believe they pulled these sh- a lot of these shots off. Hey, and also John Lithgow, more like John Lithwow. Oh, my oh. God. He was chewing the scenery like it was like he was trying to make does. it so bad that they wouldn't release it. That's, That's what it felt like to he- me. When was the last time you saw John Lithgow in anything where he didn't choose scenery? I, well, That's what he does. This That's was, what you hire him to do. This was even more over the top. It was, he was playing a cartoon character. Yeah, that's John Lithgow. Hey, he was great in Third Rock Around the Sun. Third very Rock subtle. The very sun. subtle. Yeah. Very, very nuanced <laughs> performance. Subtle. And so with all this technical awesomeness that's going mm-hmm. on in this film, it's just the worst paint-by-numbers hackneyed plot that's driving it all together. What, what is Which this? is, so Stallone is a rescue ranger. Hmm. He's the guy who goes up and rescues He's you. a chipmunk. Yeah, he's totally right. a chipmunk. <laughs> yeah. uh, but his rescue rangering involves mostly just uh, climbing up mountains while somebody else in a helicopter is nearby. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then he kind of assists with the thing. It's it's dumb. It, they never really explain it. He's just the guy who shows up because he's the guy that they need in this movie it's ridiculous mm-hmm. uh and at the very beginning they're rescuing some woman that they don't even explain why somebody this inexperienced is trapped on a mountain and when they're trying to get her into the helicopters spoiler alert for the first scene the harness she's on breaks and she's about to fall and he goes out to try to catch her and he's got her by the glove and then ah she falls yeah and so he's, he can't go back on the mountain because he's oh. so mm-hmm. feeling guilty about this right um, wounded 
damaged but goods. But then some bad guys have stolen a whole bunch of money, and they've got them in these three <gasps> uh, suitcases that have tracking beacons in them. And mm. they've been, of course, through drama, strewn across this, uh, this mountainside. And they've got to get them, so they've got to get people who know how to get them. And you guys do what we say so we can get these and get off this damn mountain. And it's just the cheesiest. Like, it's 1983. It feels like an 80s action mm. movie plot. Yes, because uh, Stallone is making movies in the 2000s that feel like they're 80s action <laughs> yeah, plots. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, Stallone's greatest feats have all been accomplished with 80s action plots. And yeah. uh, so why stop now? Don't If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah. So... I think if you're into technical film production, I think you'll watch this and enjoy a lot of it. There's a lot of great can, shots. I yeah. mean, that's again, like you, uh, the, what I remember are the like half a dozen great shots from this movie. Yeah. I don't really remember the movie. You you watch the movie again and you watch that first scene where they're trying to rescue that woman and it's just over the top and he's like ridiculously cocky. Like he's just a not even a character that they've made. Everything's going to be fine. Uh, and people are shouting, uh, and it, it, that goes downhill from there. IMDb trivia for Cliffhanger. All right. The movie's in the Guinness Book of World Records for the costliest aerial stunt ever performed, the scene in which Travers crosses from one jet to the other at a height of 15,000 feet was done without the aid of any safety devices or trick photography. <laughs> oh, well, they actually did it? Yeah. The oh, in- my wow. God. The insurance company that. underwriting the film refused to insure a stuntman for this, so Sylvester Stallone offered to reduce his own fee for the movie by the amount that the stunt cost to produce in order that the film could be made. Wow, was the stunt worth it? Joe, you just recently saw this. I, I don't even know if I know which one it was. Like, that's <laughs> that the thing. Memorable. I'm like, oh, it's from plane they, to plane. From plane to plane. I don't remember being super impressed by how great it looked because yeah. maybe maybe I'm so used to film that I was like, oh, yeah, they're doing that and didn't realize, oh, wow, they're doing that for real. Yeah, I didn't know that's pretty impressive. That's pretty impressive that they did a plane to plane stunt at 15,000 feet for realsies. But if you can't tell, like if you're then just like, the, oh, yeah. I'm yeah. watching a movie, we might as well have faked it. Yeah, totally. The two-story high cliff built for the climactic battle sequence burned to the ground completely in eight minutes when a miniature helicopter explosion got out of control. Wait, was the explosion miniature or was the helicopter miniature? Oh, I think the helicopter was miniature. Oh, okay. The heat of the fire was so intense it melted one of the cameras. Oh, wow. wow. That would have been insured, unlike the stunt. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Those things are important. Lightning follow-up. Mm. For oh. this trivia yeah. item, electrical mm. storms hit during filming, knocking down five crew members. Oh, Snap. Climber Earl Wiggins was hit three times, but was only slightly injured. During a later storm, crew members had fun taking pictures of each other with their hair standing on end, while the climbers pointed out the wisdom of evacuating. (laughs) God. Wow. Like, multiple electrical storms that were, like, targeting Cliffhanger. Yeah. Yep. Cliffhanger. Lightning curse. Don't make this movie. It's terrible. Evidently, Thor, not a Stallone fan. Oh, no. Mm Mm-hmm. Bats follow-up oh. for this final trivia item. <laughs> Got it. In the cave of bats scene, the bats seen on screen were actually added after filming as a special effect. Real bats were brought in to fill the cave, but Sylvester Stallone and Janine Turner were too afraid to shoot the scene. Hold with live on. Bats. Got it. That son of a bitch is willing to pay for an uninsured, ridiculously dangerous stunt for somebody else to do, mm-hmm. but he won't go in a cave full of bats. Yes, but... Might have been vampire bats. Seems unlikely. Ooh. Might have been uh, fruit bats, and he was afraid they'd go after his raisin-sized testicles. <laughs> okay. It's such a weird feeling to know you're alive. It's such an awful feeling. You're dying inside, and when you wake up, startled to say, 
I hope I don't go crazy today. Caustic Soda was recorded by Mike Leeson while being investigated for racketeering. To comment on episodes and for links and show notes, visit causticsodapodcast.com. Support the podcast by donating on our site or visit patreon.com slash causticsoda like I did. Visit us on Facebook, tweet us on Twitter at Caustic Podcast. Email us at info at causticsodapodcast.com. I'm Ryan Smith. Thanks for listening. When there is an earthquake that's just on a mountain, just on this mountain specifically, yeah. use the Iger counter. No, that's for radiation. When there's radiation, <laughs> fuck that up. <laughs> Sorry. It's, for, it's for checking your personal radiation level, yeah. the Iger counter. Yeah. That's right. Captain Kirk is climbing a mountain. Why is he climbing a mountain? Captain Kirk is climbing a mountain. Why is he climbing a mountain? Captain Kirk is climbing a mountain. Why is he climbing a mountain? Captain Kirk is climbing a mountain. Why is he climbing a mountain? To hug the mountain. To envelop that mountain with hug the mountain. To envelop that mountain with hug the mountain. That mountain, that mountain. He wants to make love to the mountain. Tough young guys, sinewy bodies and their fingers and teeny toes challenge the rock, challenging death. Why do I climb the mountain? Because I'm in love. There is a passionate affair going on between Kirk and the mountain. Kirk is on the Kirk is on the mountain. In order to create that illusion, sucking some of the most sensational men who not only climb are voracious, fleeting, and elusive, and peripheral, and that's putting me on the mountain. Captain Kirk is climbing a mountain. Why is he climbing a mountain? Captain Kirk is climbing a mountain. Why is he climbing a mountain? Captain Kirk is climbing a mountain. Why is he climbing a mountain? Captain Kirk is climbing a mountain. Hold it, please. A hug the mountain. Envelop that mountain with hug the mountain. To envelop that mountain with hug the mountain. That mountain, that mountain. He wants to make love to the mountain. And the climb is going where no man has gone before. Where no man has gone before. Challenge the rock, challenging death. Why do I climb the mountain? Because I'm in love.